Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Ryan McIntyre, who's president of Mavericks Metals, their royalty company on the TSX and NYSE. We spoke to them back in January. Things have moved along quite nicely since then. They've got a large portfolio, 13 producing uh, precious metal pr- uh, assets. They've also got about 92 others that are in development. So we talked to them about how they hope to advance things, what, is, what that's going to do to their cash position, and also look at some of the partners that they have on board and the advantages that that can bring. In terms of royalties, you know we like royalties. We're looking forward to seeing if potentially these guys are a takeout target. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, Ryan, how are you doing? I'm good. How are things in uh, England there? We are surviving, Ryan. We're surviving. I went to London, scared the hell out of me. I came running straight home. What about you? You're normally in New Yorker, aren't you? <laughs> Everything's there. Yeah, just outside of New York in uh, Connecticut, but I uh, haven't been to New York uh, since March, so keeping uh, safe out here. Oh, you're like me. You're like me. Quite right. Um, well, look. So I haven't seen you since since January. So th- things are busy. We're going to hear about that that in a second. And you were sort of a relatively newbie then as well, weren't you? Yeah, I just joined at the end of uh, November. So pretty uh, pretty fresh into the role there. Good man, good man. Hey, well, look. Why don't we kick off with that usual one minute overview of the business, then we'll pick it up from there. Sure. Uh, well, Mavericks Metals is a uh, precious metals royalty company. Uh, we've got 105 assets total. Uh, we've got 13 paying, and our whole goal is basically to continue to buy uh, royalties and streams uh, with a strong focus on gold, uh, with a little bit of silver as well. And that's really our strategy. Fantastic. Okay. Um, so we've, we've interviewed quite a few royalty companies recently. Um, they're getting a lot of uh, get a lot of publicity because I think people are are, are seeing mm-hmm. obviously the precious metal market going a little bit crazy. Most of you US guys are focused on precious metals. Um, But I want to kind of bring it back a bit again for people who may be new to this story. I know you're you're nearly a big boy now, but um, at 900 million market cap, but uh, maybe a new story to some people. So let's talk about what you guys set out to do, um, obviously, and then what you were brought on board to do. You know, why, why did you come on to the team? Uh, well, yeah, just to give some people some history. So Mavericks was started in mid-2016. Uh, Pan American Silver basically vented in their royalties uh, into Mavericks and basically took a large equity stake. And, you know, over those four years, uh, we've done 10 separate transactions in terms of buying royalties and streams. And I think the one that we've been no- most notable for uh, is acquiring royalty portfolios from some of the largest uh, gold mining companies and silver companies in the world. So we've done obviously Pan American Silver, followed that up with Goldfields, and then we did Newmonts, and then at the end of last year, perfectly timed, uh, we did Kian Ross's royalty portfolio as well, and they all had big equity stakes in Mavericks. So Ryan, I mean, you've got you've got quite a few big names involved there. The Ross Beatties of this world, Eric Sprouts, and obviously you know with with, with Ken Ross and Newmont Pan, Pan American. This is fantastic, but it's a very highly competitive environment that you are now stepping into. You know, you've got some of the bigger players at five million plus market cap, and you're going to try to compete with these guys. How do some of the names that you are now working with enable you to get deals that perhaps are just that little bit more competitive? I think there's a couple of things that we've got. So I think obviously the connections with some of those large players that I just previously mentioned is, is critical. Uh, a, we get deal flow from them directly. There's a great dialogue. Obviously, we've got someone from uh, Pan American and Newmont on our board. 
And I think there's certainly uh, pretty good dialogue back and forth just from a deal perspective and also from a technical perspective. If we've got questions about various assets that we're looking at, we can always bounce some, bounce some questions off, off of those guys. And so that's been hugely helpful. And they've also basically vetted us as a company. And so the other the extent that there are other royalty portfolios out there, they're looking for a home. Uh, they would look at those uh, endorsements by some of those large players as very positive. And I think you've seen that with the four we've done, and hopefully we can do a few more of those. But, but how, I mean, what do you do going forward? Do you have to keep picking up large portfolio type plays or do you just go after like, you know, bigger royalties? And where do you, where do you find these? I mean, where's the, it gets harder and harder as you move up the food chain, right? So where do you find this? Yeah, that's actually another good point actually is, you know, we are at that size now. Uh, where a new royalty or stream actually is meaningful to us, regardless of its size almost. So anything sort of $50 million and plus is actually really meaningful to us. And there are actually quite a few of those deals to be had versus, you know, there are only a few kind of billion dollar deals, although they do exist. Uh, but I think that is a good point because, you know, at some point as we, you know, as we grow, we will run into that problem where we, where we need to get bigger royalties or streams coming on board. But we've got a lot of runway before that. Yeah, so we don't really see that as a problem at the minute. It's not a problem at the minute, but you need to set yourself up properly. Because again, we've looked at some of the bigger royalty companies, and I won't mention names here, but if you look at their share prices, they're really, really struggling. And it seems to be a big disconnect between what they're doing corporately and what they're doing for shareholders. And money seems to be you're making money, a lot of money, but it's being plowed mm -hmm. back into deals, plowed back into the ground. Uh, yeah. with ever-expanding um, big ideas. But at the end of the day, I'm a shareholder. I make my money if the price, of the, the price of the shares go up. So how do you ensure that you don't make the same mistakes that have been done by people who have trod the path before you? I think the great thing is that, uh, you know, here, Mavericks, we have a lot of experience in the space. So myself and uh, Dan O'Flaherty, who's the CEO of Mavericks, you know, we, we actually were working on some of the original streaming deals back in the early 2000s on the investment banking side. And so it's interesting. We've actually seen things evolve over the past sort of 15 plus years. And the size of the market has also grown a lot. You know, I think 15 years ago, the market cap, the entire space was about 5 billion U.S. You know, now it's about 60 billion U.S. And that's not surprising at all because it is a great business model and the returns have been good. Uh, so it's not surprising that there have been new entrants and things. But I think the one thing that we're always focused on is, is really doing good deals that are creative for our shareholders. So we're looking to increase NAV per share, cash flow per share, and consequently dividends uh, we'd expect to grow per share as well as time goes on. And the other aspect also is trying to shrink the valuation differential between ourselves and the larger players. And so there's sort of a two-way, two-pronged approach here at Mavericks uh, to move that share price up for our shareholders. And I think it should be noted too that you know Mavericks Insiders own about ten percent of the business, so you know we are a hundred percent focused on shareholders, and we'll we'll do whatever it takes to get that share price up. Yeah, but at the same time, you're also you guys are picking up salaries and options and warrants and all sorts of wonderful things as well. So it doesn't matter as much to you as it does for shareholders. So talk to me about some of those ratios and why they matter and why you are focused on them. Well, I think the biggest thing you know for any investor, I mean, having spent. Uh, last basically 11 or 12 years at Tocqueville Asset Management, where I was an investor professionally. I think the one key thing is, you know, you got to increase cash flow per share, 
net asset value per share over time. That is the real fundamental business value of the company. And my view is if, if you do that, the share price might not follow immediately, but it will eventually. And that's what we're focused on, the medium and long term. Okay. And again, I'm going to refer back to some of the larger uh, royalty companies that we've looked at. They've got cash flow coming out there, yin yang, yeah. right? It, it, they're making money. But yeah. It's not flowing down to shareholders. I'm, yeah, I don't expect you to answer for them, but I, what I do expect you to do is acknowledge that companies get to a size where they become less efficient. And yeah. someone new to the company coming in fresh eyes um, and yeah. given your investor background, you know, how do you ensure you kind of stay on the straight and the narrow and are focused, you know, very much towards the shareholders, you know, be their institutional retail or family office? Well, we're certainly incentivized that way, you know, just given that our largest shareholders are on our board as well. Uh, so they also direct uh, how we conduct our business. But I think it's just the mindset of the people in the business. When you look at, you know, Jeff Burns, our chairman, you know, he was the CEO of Pan American Silver for, I think, a dozen years or so. And, you know, me being on the investment side, we just we really have this energy focused on shareholders because having sit, sat on the other side of the chair for a long period of time, you know, we've observed what sort of works, what doesn't work, what resonates, what doesn't and what really adds value and doesn't. And we're really just trying to isolate those types of factors as best we can and focus on those types of things uh, for our investors. And you know, I think. You know, the very fact that we do own a lot of the business is critical. But I think more than that, we're, we're intrinsically motivated ourselves. We really care about the shareholders and we're going to do what's right for them. Okay. So let's, go, let's move on to one of the points you made there, cash flow, right? You've got, what is it, thir 13 producing assets at the moment, yep. you know, varying yep. degrees of producing. And you've got a yep. lot sitting behind that. I guess that's the inflection point yep. that most people are looking for. So let's talk about the producing components now. So roughly kind of break that down for us and you know what, what more is to come from the current paying uh, assets yeah sure so we've got 13 paying assets currently uh so this year we'll probably generate something in the order of us 40 million dollars in revenue from royalties and streams this year and the interesting thing about that is it's really well diversified from a country basis good jurisdictions so you're talking about 80 percent uh plus coming from canada the us mexico and australia and then the other thing to note is that it's three quarters gold, basically 20% silver and a little bit minor parts of uh, copper, zinc and lead. Uh, so very pure play focused on gold and silver, basically. So I think we're very, very comfortable here. And the and what's coming up behind it? Is that similar kind of profile? Yeah, very, actually very similar, probably actually even more uh, gold weighted uh, specifically and actually probably more uh, US weighted as well. If you look at some of our near term big ones. Uh, probably the next couple to come off for us is uh, the Greenfields project, Gemfields. Uh, we've got a 5% royalty on this open pit heat bleach project in Nevada uh, that should produce about 125,000 ounces a year. And so that thing is fully permitted. And uh, I think there's just a sales process that's going to get underway pretty shortly here on that one. And then there's another one kind of coming off the ranks as well, uh, Kensington, where we have a 2.5% royalty. Uh, that we picked up from the Kinross portfolio acquisition at the end of last year. And what's interesting about that one is that at the time of acquisition, uh, the royalty only kicks in once Core Mining, who's the owner of Kensington, the royalty only kicks in when Core recoups its capital. And it's the royalty is based on revenue. So once it, that capital is recouped, it starts paying 2.5% of revenue. And I think the critical thing is when we were looking at it initially, 
the capital that had to be recouped would be expected to take five or six years at that gold price. But if you look at today's gold price, you're now talking about three years uh, until it starts paying us. And so it's a huge, huge difference for how we thought about it when we bought it and what a gold price can do to our portfolio, just given we've got a number of those things uh, in the development phase in our portfolio. I mean, you really are benefiting from this gold bull run. I mean, the, the price of gold yeah. and silver, you know, getting there, um, helping immensely with the ability of some of these assets to get financed, to kind of move things forward, um, yeah. possibly quicker than you had imagined, I suspect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I think we've uh, we've benefited from a few things. I mean, obviously, the, the commodity price is one of them, but also the from the permitting side as well, I think some countries have sped that up a little bit. Uh, we had one come... Uh, recently, actually, on a Nueva Esperanza project, which is owned by Kingsgate Consolidated, where we've got a two to three percent royalty on it, and the project's about a ninety thousand ounce gold equivalent uh, type project in Chile, and so you know they just got their EIA uh, the other week, and we've been waiting for that for a year or two. So I think having that come through is also another huge positive. So it's shovel ready as well. Given it's forty million bucks revenue at the moment, it's not it's not huge. Okay. Yeah, I, I, there's there's more to come as what well, is what you're going to be yep. telling us. I suspect um, COVID has not had a significant impact on your revenues, and it's not restricted your ability to do business. Yeah, it's interesting. So for the first month or so there, I think we were focused inward on our business, looking at what was in our portfolio, and I think a lot of the companies that we were talking about uh, with acquisitions and that type of thing were doing the same thing. So everyone was reevaluating their strategies. So that kind of put us on hold, I'd say for a month, maybe two months. Uh, but since sort of mid-May, uh, we've been extremely busy. Uh, there's a, a lot of stuff to do in the in the market. I think with commodity prices moving up, people want to develop uh, gold projects specifically. And, you know, we've got a lot of those in our portfolio. So we've got 92 assets that aren't currently paying. And you can see those uh, move forward and you can see people raising money for them, uh, either drilling them or starting kind of initial uh, economic study work, that type of thing. So... There's a lot going on, I would say, on our end. Okay. I want to talk to you about something which Dan brought up when he was on back in January, around 20th <laughs> of January or so. He gave an, or he gave an example. I know you're a new guy just then, but he gave an example <laughs> of the way that you guys went about negotiating deals. And you, you mentioned yep. what was then called RNC Minerals, now called yep. uh, Carora uh, yep. Minerals. And you just completed a deal there. And at the time, it was, we'll do what's the the right thing for our shareholders and obviously it's got to work for mm -hmm. both sides etc that yeah. took an awful long time to put together what was the hold up it, it did take a while actually a lot longer than i think probably both sides would have thought but uh, no i think we came out to the right solution in the end so basically we originally had a seven and a half percent gold royalty uh on the on beta hunt which basically represents half of the higginsville complex operated by corora and you know the thinking initially was that you know, it was a nickel deposit. And so that seven and a half percent actually they thought was the byproduct. So that was the gold. And so it was a high royalty. I think, you know, Paul has mentioned that uh, in your interviews as well. And so we had to view the whole transaction as what could be a win-win for both. And I think from our side, you know, we wanted to get a reasonable value for it. And obviously, you know, Paul wanted to lower the cost structure there. But I think ultimately what it does is it really unlocks the exploration potential part of it. You know, they don't have the hang up of what's perceived to be a really high royalty on the beta hunt side. And for us, you know, we still own the other 4.75% of it. Uh, so we still are hugely exposed to it. 
And I think the one thing that uh, people should remember too, this is a great illustration of the royalty model and our business model at Mavericks where, you know, we only put in about $15 million assembling uh, that seven and a half percent royalty over the past four years. We've already recouped 120% of that in cash flow to date. And we just sold basically a third of it uh, to Corora for 18 million. Uh, so we've earned a couple multiples on our initial investment and we hope it incentivizes Corora to do even more there on the beta hunt side, because if you look at the exploration potential there, I think it's pretty exciting and they've done a great job as well, probably should be mentioned. And so we're expecting pretty big things out of that. So I'd guess that uh, the beta hunt will actually be doing a lot better than uh, people expect in the future. Okay. And then the deal got slightly more complicated with the entrance of the Eric Sprott component to the deal. Yes. Yeah. And, and obviously he's a big, you know, the Sprott shareholder uh, with you guys as well. I mean, how did all that yeah. come about? Yeah, it's interesting, actually. So the initial deal was for we were going to bring on $5 million in cash from them and, th- and $13 million with the shares. And we'd be ha- we we're happy to take Carrera shares, given that we did see we did see upside. Uh, but when you have a great investor like that come along uh, and bolster uh, the situation at Carrera, just from a marketing standpoint, from sort of validation standpoint, you know, it's well worthwhile for us to work with our operating partners. We always try to do. We always try to put them in the best possible position to succeed because that only helps us and our shareholders. And so I think it was a perfect result uh, for everybody because now, you know, you have a lot more eyeballs on Corora, I would say, and you'll have more investment money flowing into Beta Hunt where we still retain a 4.75% royalty. So we're hugely incentivized to see that one continue to do really well. Good. Okay. Well, I'm glad that it eventually got done. I think the market was wondering what was happening, but I'm sure there's some hard negotiation going on. Um, can I talk about TMAC? If sure. you don't mind, obviously with Shangdong Gold um, in, involved, what's what's your take on what's going on there? How that's going to work out? You know, do you, do you rate that deal? Yeah, no, it's interesting. So, so we've got a two and a half percent royalty on the Hope Bay property, and uh, TMAC obviously uh, is in the midst of a deal with Shandong, and you know it's gotten I think all the major approvals except for the major one from the Canadian government. And you know that's the one everyone's watching. Obviously, uh, it's a bit of a black box, so I don't think too many people know what's going on unless you're really on the inside there. But I guess from our perspective, the way we look at it, you know, our two and a half percent royalty, if you just kept the mine as it was operating, you know, produce about 125,000 ounces a year, sort of around five million dollar revenue royalty dust. And you know, with a new player coming in like Shandong. What the real what the operation is really missing is scale, and Shandong can deliver that by deploying more money into the into the business there. And so for us, the way we look at it is, if Shandong is successful, uh, it is highly likely that they'll basically double uh, the size of throughput there. So our sort of five million dollar year royalty will sort of turn into ten plus million a year in terms of royalty revenue. And I think the one thing that's interesting too is the gold price has changed a lot um, since that deal was struck, and so. You know, notwithstanding the notion that uh, Shandong and TMAC are in the middle of the transaction, but you know, clearly the asset has become much more valuable uh, since that deal was struck uh, only a few months ago. So uh, I think that should be I think, very good for everybody. Okay. Are you worried at all about how you're, com- you, how you're um, performing in relation to your peers at the moment? I mean, is, do you feel your performance is reflective of what you're doing? No, short answer is no. 
it's interesting. So we were, we were, you know, everyone I think got hit during the COVID pandemic, it's not unusual. And then we obviously kind of came back with everybody, but uh, I think in the past couple of months, you know, for starters, um, we did the Pan American secondary. So Pan American uh, had five-year warrants that were issued uh, basically upon inception of Mavericks and they expired next year. And we had some investor interest and we basically convinced Pan American to to basically issue, basically sell their uh, warrants off or exercise their warrants and sell the shares, I guess, technically. And what happened there is basically that was a pretty large chunk of our market cap. And so basically you had some entrants kind of come in and out of the stock there and it churned, churned a little while. And uh, as soon as that deal was closed, um, you know, you had a, basically a month there, I'd say it was sort of seesawing up and down. And there was only recently actually where we started to reestablish that momentum that we had before, where I think the shares are now flushed out. You know, I was actually buying some shares uh, a couple of weeks ago. So, you know, we are fully confident that the business is going to do really well. And I think there is a huge disconnect uh, in our share price in particular uh, versus some of our peers. But, you know, more specifically, just we can see that our business is doing really well and it is clearly worth more than it was uh, before the pandemic. So, especially on the development uh, part of our portfolio where we've got, uh, you know, 92 things that aren't in production for us. So, you know, we see a lot of those things moving forward and I think our shares are a lot more valuable now than they were back then. I think people will recognize that at some point, but it's our job uh, to put that in front of people and to make sure people do recognize that value. Can I just ask you a question if I may about some of the new entrants coming into this space? We've seen a lot of sort of small private companies coming in or small Royalty companies listing, etc. Um, I mean, they're and they're hoping to work their way up that food uh, chain as you guys have done. But is there a kind of shortcut to this process? Is there, um, you know, roll-ups or acquisitions that can be made? Well, you're right. We definitely have seen a lot of new entrants come into the space uh, on the smaller end, and you know, I think in the short term, I don't see much in the way of consolidation within the space, uh, royalty space. Uh, but I think over the long term. I think that is likely. Uh, I think there is a certain amount of scale that is required in the business. And frankly, uh, given the multiple uh, differential between some of the smaller guys and the larger guys, uh, there certainly is an arbitrage there to be had. So I think that'll certainly happen in the future. Uh, you know, from a Mavericks perspective, you know, there are a lot of deals to be had now, so we don't see that at the minute. But from a Mavericks perspective, you know, we're happy to, to be the acquirer or be acquired. Um, you know, I think we'll do whatever is good for our shareholders. And so if we see an opportunity that's worthwhile to do, we'll do it. And if we're the opportunity, then that's fine too. Uh, as long as we can get the value to our shareholders, that's the only thing we're focused on. Is there a kind of cycle to it? Because the big guys kind of like to take the little guys out because they've become a pain in the side, right? The history has shown that uh, the larger guys uh, do actually go after the smaller guys. And typically it is in an environment where there are fewer individual royalties and streams to be done. Um, and so we certainly are likely to see that happen again. And, uh, you know, given where Mavericks is and if our valuation stays where it is, uh, you know, we could be at risk from that standpoint. Okay. Does the M&A component slow things down for you? I mean, does it, does it affect your business model when all of this is going on in the market? Well, certainly from a equity perspective in terms of the amounts that are able to be raised now that does dampen uh, the ability to you know basically get new royalties and things on new projects and so forth just given that it's another source of capital that's competition 
So that that is fine. Uh, the M&A side is interesting. It actually works on both sides uh, because with more deals comes potential for more financing needs as well. And so, you know, we are part of that capital solution. And, you know, from our standpoint, you know, we're more than happy to participate in M&A if we can help out someone acquire something or if we have a royalty on something that someone's looking to acquire. Okay, so let's talk about trading liquidity. That's often been a problem for some of the smaller guys. I mean, do you see that as a difficulty for you moving forward? I would have said yes a year ago. Uh, we basically very traded very thinly a year ago, but a couple of things have changed since then. Uh, for starters, we've uh, graduated from the TSX Venture Exchange to the TSX mid last year. Uh, and basically in concert with that, we also listed in the US on the NYSE American. And uh, both those things have had a notable impact on our trading liquidity, uh, but it still really didn't get us there, you know, in terms of having real volume where institutions could step in uh, in a big way. But, you know, one thing that has changed that is the Pan American secondary offering uh, that was done uh, at the end of May there. Uh, that actually has changed our volumes pretty significantly, actually. Um, you know, it should be noted that, you know, we're not listed on any index or in any ETF currently. And I think, the only reason Bailey is because we don't really have the trading liquidity or we didn't. Uh, but if you actually look at it today, uh, we actually do currently meet uh, the trading liquidity requirements for things like the GDXJ. And so, but it takes uh, three consecutive quarters. And by our calculations, we expect that uh, basically in the first half of 2021, uh, it is likely that we'll be included at least in one or two uh, indices and ETFs. So. Uh, that should be a pretty big thing for Mavericks and its shareholders. And part of the thing that we view as closing the value gap between ourselves and some of the other players. Okay. And you think that's sustaining? You think you'll get there? Uh, we're there currently. And so as long as we can sustain it, uh, we will get there. Yeah. Okay. Big question, just to kind of finish off, if you don't mind. Okay. So we've talked to a lot of royalty companies recently. They're all unique. You've all got your own strategy, your own view of, of the world. Why am I picking your royalty company above some of the smaller ones who perhaps got a little bit more leverage to them if things work out? I think there are really two main factors. I think the first one is the people. Uh, you know, I think our if you look at our board, uh, if you look at our shareholders, you look at our management team, uh, we're extremely strong on across all those levels. And you know, I guess from our perspective, you know, one of the things that really differentiates Mavericks is having the access to, you know, help from, you know, Newmont, Pan American, Ken Ross, and our broad network. And the other aspect is, you know, we're not so small uh, that we can't compete against others, uh, but we're not so large where a small royalty does, it's not meaningful to us. And so we're, we really view ourselves actually in the sweet spot of activity where new royalty added for us is really meaningful, uh, yet we can do a lot of different things given our size. And frankly, uh, given our diversification, we've got 13 paying assets. We've got 92 that aren't paying, uh, diversified, diversified across all the different stages of development. So some near-term, mid-term, long-term, and some options uh, in far off into the future. So we're really well positioned. Okay. And you're happy with your debt position, future revenues coming in from these 92. You think you've got that balance right? Yeah, it's interesting. So the start of the year, we were definitely debt heavy. And if you look at the picture now between uh, the Panamera warrant exercise and also the Corora transaction, we're actually almost net debt neutral now. So we've got about 51 million in cash and securities and 60 million in uh, in debt that we'll be paying off uh, shortly. 
Okay. Ryan, good run through. Good to catch up with you. It's been six months. Uh, things, things motoring there. Um, well, like, one, say hi to Dan for me, uh, obviously. Uh, well done on dealing with COVID and, and avoiding COVID. Um, but I'm, I'd be keen to hear from you guys uh, soon as things start to, st- start to pan out for you. I'm especially looking forward to 92 different revenues uh, uh, jo- joining joining the thirteen current uh, producing assets um, over the next two three years. But um, appreciate your time. Pick up the phone if there's anything interesting to say. And we'll speak to you soon. Yeah, sounds good. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.